Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Uh, We've been inviting you on a journey with us over the course of these eight weeks to become very effective men and women who study God's word and have personal discovery of the joy of God's truth. And so what we've been doing is we've been really emphasizing a tool that centers around three steps in the process. To observe by reading the scripture, asking the question, what do I see? To interpret, what does it mean? And then to apply it. Well, how do I apply it to my life? And how do I apply it in such a way I can share it with others? And the way that we've been going at this is on Sundays, we're trying to inspire you by looking at this second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Then all week long, we have a a devotional book that's basically like a workbook to give you practical steps in becoming better and more proficient at your Bible study. And we have a video that's both on our website and we put it at Facebook and Instagram and other places so that you can see the sort of a a concise how-to teaching for the week. Now, today we're looking at and going to go into some pretty, uh, (laughs) pretty strong applications from Paul's letter to Timothy, things that apply to your life and to mine. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like us to read this together. I like when you read God's word out loud with me. We're going to read verses 8 through 12 of the first chapter. Would you read with me? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior. Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. So, as we look at this text together, there's a, there's a, a choice that Timothy has to make. And Paul is making really clear what his choice is. Either he will live courageously or he will live fearfully. If he's to live courageously, he faces the reality that his faith will lead him into the same circumstances that Paul faces. Paul is in prison. Paul is just days away from being executed. He will be beheaded publicly. And Paul is asking Timothy, will you live choosing in to be all in for Jesus, or will you not? And he says the other option is not living courageously, but rather living in a spirit of fear. And he's saying that, you know, Timothy, you're a man who has timidity. He seems to be an introvert. Seems like he gets pretty upset, stressed out. And he's saying, Timothy, you could decide that you're going to live by your fear. And by doing so, you could withdraw. And instead of being all in for Jesus, you could be all out. And so it may be easy for you and I to say, okay, that's Timothy's choices. Maybe we have more choices. But in the end, there really are only two choices. You're either all in or you're all out. You might say, well, there's a middle ground. No, Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. So there really is no other, there is no other Christianity but an all-in Christianity. But this passage helps you to understand and helps me to understand both what I'm facing and how I get the power to overcome it. And the first thing that I'd like you to look at with me is this whole thing that Lisa started us off with 
is the word profitable. See, if you live a fearful life, you do not live a profitable life. You live a limited life. You live a shameful life. But if you live a courageous life, then in the power of God, that courage not only affects you, but everyone around you. And it also affects generations to come. And so in order to live a profitable life, in order to live an effective life, you have to overcome the spirit of fear. And, and fear is not merely a psychological thing. Paul actually calls it a spiritual issue, not just an emotional or personality issue, but actually a, a source that comes from the spiritual realm and that then supercharges your fears, your anxieties, and your worries. So in order to deal with fear, you have to do more than just get a self-help book. You've got to deal with the root issue. You've got to deal with it as a power source. And one of the things that, that Paul is making clear to Timothy in all of this is that the only way that you overcome fear is to have something more present and more powerful than the thing you're afraid of. Fear is one of those emotions that does not go away because you say go away. There has to be a power that is greater than what you're afraid of so that the fear decreases and the power increases. And so what Paul is making clear to Timothy is he has to live spiritually. He has to live supernaturally. And he actually is encouraging Timothy to live by the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And he's encouraging him in all of this to exercise and live in his spiritual gifting. Look, when, if you are a Christian, then, then the very spirit of Christ has come to indwell your spirit. You're not just a moral person. You're not just a religious person. You are a person who has passed from dead spirit to living spirit because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you get in touch with that and you begin to realize that the very same spirit that empowered Jesus and raised Jesus from the dead is now empowering you, you no longer have to live in the limitations of your personality. You no longer have to live in the limitations of your education or your bank book or anything else because you are now united to the limitless power of Jesus Christ. I'm more excited about that than you all are. <laughs> See, what I'm saying is, if you are the most vile person in this room, and I'm looking to see who that is. I think I saw you. <laughs> if you are the weakest person in this room, if you have the worst past, but suddenly you are realizing, I'm not who I was. I am who I am in Jesus Christ. And you stop looking at the limitations and the excuses. You see, what Timothy could say is this, Paul, I'm an introvert. Don't make me speak. Paul, I got a weak stomach. Don't let stress come. And prison's probably stressful, don't you think? Getting your head cut off is probably somewhat stressful. Don't make me have stress. But what is Paul saying? And this is so interesting. Every prayer Paul prays, he never prays, get me out of prison. He never prays, hey, don't let persecution happen. You know what he prays? That you would be strengthened in your inner man. And here he says that you would fan into flame your spiritual gift. You see, what he's trying to get Timothy to do and what I'm trying to get you to realize is if all you're living in is your personality and your background and your education and your status then you're living incredibly limited. But once you realize by the trials of this life or by the, the obstacles that you face that you're not enough, then finally you can go, God, I need you. See, and the Lord Jesus was very clear on this. He says, I can't physically be with every one of you. So I've gone to heaven and I'm seated at the right hand of the Father, but I have sent my spirit to now indwell and come alongside 
every single one of you who believes in me, so that I am with you as if I were present physically with you. And when you operate in the spiritual gifts, that is not simply you being gifted. That is the Holy Spirit manifesting the presence of Christ in your life and in any situation that you face. The gifts are a manifestation of Jesus. It's His presence. Because the Spirit doesn't give His gifts without being present. And when you need them, and when you decide you want them, you have access to them. But you have to begin to believe that you need to live in a power that is not your own. And that you live in a power that is bigger than you. You see, there was, in Timothy, there was a heart for serving. There was a heart for ministry. But here was the issue. Is he wasn't living in any awareness of the power present. So his mind was being deceived. And his heart was being fearful. Because when you are aware acutely of the presence of the very power that raised Jesus from the dead in you, and you're aware of how you don't just have the love of God, but the Spirit is the love of God indwelling you, then your mind can take hold of that power and that love and be structured and be disciplined and be self-controlled. But if you live in fear, you've got to distract your mind. You've got to depress your mind. You've got to deny reality. You've got to make it to where it's not as bad as it should be. One of the great New York sayings I've learned, when anything bad happens, people come up and go, you should just be glad it isn't worse than that. <laughs> oh, great. Now I can not only fear what has happened, but what could happen. <laughs> what a help we are to one another. But you see, if you have power and you have love, then your mind can stay focused. It can stay empowered. But the power of fear is to destroy your strength. Please, hear with me. Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I've seen your heart, but I've seen there's a flame there, and it's got to be fanned. It's going out because of circumstances. It's got to go from being a flame to being a consuming fire. Now, how does that happen? You see, what a lot of us want to do is say, okay, what's my gift? Okay, and when you do that, guess what? You never find out. You don't find out. You know when you find out what your gift is? When you see a need and you serve. Because what are they? The gifts are a manifestation of Jesus personally in your life. And what did Jesus say he came to do? He didn't say he came to be gifted. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. So every time there's a need, and you may say, I don't feel qualified, or I don't feel like I have experience. Jesus says, but I've assigned you to that need. Now you go meet that need, and I'll manifest the gift. And guess what? If you're faithful in meeting small needs, he'll start giving you bigger needs. And when you start meeting bigger needs, you'll have bigger gifts. But it is always, always for service. But do you know what that means? Is that you can't get your identity from your gifts. You come to me and you have profit on your business card. I'm going to go, probably not. <laughs> you come to me with apostle on your business card. I'm probably going to say, nah, I don't think so. Because I will see how you serve if you're apostolic. I will see as you meet a need if you're prophetic. Or pathetic. <laughs> I will see as you meet a need if you have the gift of hospitality. Now look, sometimes there's a need and you're not the right person. All right? If you're a person handing out bulletins in the church and you're scaring children, <laughs> it is probably not your gift. And maybe we need to put you on landscaping. I mean, we need to get real here, people. If it's not a blessing when you serve, it's not a gift. If you're not blessed and they're not blessed, it's probably not the Spirit. And the problem for many of us is we don't want anybody to tell us what our gift is. 
And we don't want anybody to demote us or correct us. And yet that's exactly what profitable scripture does. It corrects, it rebukes, it trains, it teaches. You understand, you're not going to know right off what your gifts are until you risk. And as you risk, you will start realizing, wow, I'm being supernaturally empowered to do this. And guess what? It often is in areas where you're already wired. What the Spirit of the Lord wants to do is get you to a place in your life where you say, that's what I was made for. That's what I was made for. This is my sweet spot. But you see, it won't happen if your identity is found in what you do, not who you are. So if your identity is in Christ, then if he says, take out the trash, you say, Jesus, for you, I'll take out the trash. If, if your worth and value and your status is that you're a child of God, then no job is too little for you. And no job is too big for you. Because it's not your status in which you're trying to gain by performing. You're performing because you've already settled your status. I'm a child of God. I didn't get that by behavior. I didn't get that by earning it. I get that by relationship with Jesus. And so if Jesus says serve, I'll do anything he asked me to do. And you see, for Paul, he said, Jesus asked me to be in prison. Jesus asked me to be a martyr. Paul didn't have even a minute of saying anything but yes, because the one asking him to do it is the one that gave him his identity, gave him his status. And so when Paul passes away, Paul passes away gloriously and into glory. But you and I, we have to settle this issue. You see, if you're trying to serve to get approval, then you will never serve in gifting. You're just going to have to serve in your own power. And the, and the problem is, people will never give you enough approval to settle your status. Because as soon as they say how great you are, you're like, okay, what do I have to do next to get them to say it again? Are you hearing me in this? I'm trying to save you some counseling time right now. I mean, it's such an interesting thing that we receive by faith our identity. We allow the Spirit to fan this heart for God into flame. Any hunger you have for Jesus, it didn't originate with you. It originated with the Spirit in you. And the more you allow Him to fan that into flame, the more your heart will be consumed with that which will make you healthy and make you strong. But it always is a commitment that goes, I will serve you. I will serve you. It's so interesting. I can always see people who do not have their identity settled and who do not have their status settled when you compliment them. So you say to someone, oh, you sang so beautifully. And they go, oh, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. And I go, well, did he push you out of the way and take the microphone from you? And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to be humble, but what they're revealing is brokenness. You see? Because they can't receive that they did a good job and just say, thank you, and let it come into their spirit. Of course, if your identity is settled and if your status is settled, you know, I don't need people's praise to be a child of God. But because I'm a child of God, I can appreciate that what I did was a prophet. Now, there are some of us, there's some of us that we don't, we don't even try to be humble. If you say to us, particularly me, you did a great job, I'll go, could you elaborate on that? I'll give you about 30 minutes to cut that out. You understand, brokenness has lots of forms. But the basis that keeps our brokenness in place is fear. Fear is a choice. Fear seems like a power source, seems like a friend. But Paul is saying it's a spirit. 
And Paul is saying it's not the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. It's the opposite spirit. Are you tracking with me on this? So we make a decision by what spirit are we going to live. If you live in the spirit of fear, Paul says, and explains in the passage we just read, you open up the door for shame. To live in fear is to have fellowship with shame. Because fear will make it to where you always have to be criticizing yourself, condemning yourself, putting yourself down, or angry with other people, or depressed, or whatever it might be. But at the root of it will always be this sense, there's something wrong with me. And, and it's interesting, even in our society that's tried to get rid of the whole idea or concept of sin, and has tried to get rid of the whole idea of guilt, yet even without any rules to make you feel guilty, people are still saying, but something's not right with me. Because you see, if you have fear, you have shame. And what shame does, whether, whether it's the shame of you've done something wrong or the shame that something's wrong with me, what it does is it makes you hide. It makes it to where you can't really reveal your true self because you don't think people would accept you. Or you can't really let people know your story because you don't know how they're going to treat you if they know your story. Haven't you noticed around here that everybody has a story but almost nobody tells it? You go, hmm, that's an interesting family. How'd they get that way? But nobody's going to come up to you and say, well, you know, I've been divorced five times and, and you know, I'm not even living with this. And this is not my husband I'm living with and these are somebody else's children and all these kind of things. Because people don't want you to know them because of shame. Now, this is interesting to me because you can't understand someone without knowing them. But people don't want you to know them because they don't want you to know their shame. So there's a hiding that takes place. And so many of us have learned throughout our lives to kind of hide certain details, to hide certain parts about our lives. And Paul goes right at Timothy and he says, look, there is a tendency to protect yourself by shame. And he talks to Timothy and he says, there are three things that you're being tempted because of the spirit of fear. There are three things that you're being tempted to be ashamed of. And they're very simple. Tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. Tempted to be ashamed of Paul, who's in prison and who is about to die. And you're tempted to be ashamed of the gospel itself. Now think through these things. Jesus, Paul, the gospel. Think about how they may be applied to you and to me. What Paul is saying is that Timothy is having to have faith in Jesus who is not visible. I mean, if I can put it the clearest way I can think of, suppose you ask me, do you believe in George Washington? And I would say, yeah, I believe in George Washington. And the person said, well, I live in the spirit of George Washington. I live by the power of the spirit of George Washington. I would say, okay, goodbye. <laughs> You're a nut. You see, I have, you and I have no trouble thinking, oh, yeah, George Washington, the founder of America, the first president. We have all these facts. We know all about George Washington. But if I said I'm living in the spirit of George Washington, you would think me ridiculous. You understand, if you're a Christian, you're not just saying, I know the facts about Jesus. You're not just saying, I believe he was a good teacher. You're not just saying, I think he had, had some really good religious ideas, and I think the world would be a better place if they followed Jesus. No, if you're a Christian, you're saying, he's alive in me. Amen. I mean, basically to say, I'm going to talk about a Lord who is so important and is such an important being in my life, and yet I have no way to show you Him. I have no way for you to hear Him. <laughs> I'm going to maintain in this faith, in the face of all of the people who might think me ridiculous, I'm going to maintain that a man who lived 2,000 years ago is still alive today. I'm in a vital relationship with him. He wants to be in a vital relationship with you. And to do so is to expose yourself to a whole bunch of ridicule. In other words, Jesus can't be a religion for you. He has to be a relationship. 
You can't simply think he had good things to say. You still have to be hearing his voice today. You can't simply say, I think the Bible is a good book. You have to say the Bible is a living book. And in it, I hear the living words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to have had an encounter with Jesus that is so profound that you now know that the spirit of Jesus is living in and with you as the divine resident in your heart. Otherwise, you can't be a Christian and you can't overcome the shame of Jesus. But not only that, Paul said, look, you had the possibility of being ashamed of me. I'm your teacher. I'm your faith mentor. I'm your spiritual father, and I'm in prison, and in a few days I'm going to die. You understand, you and I have to have a faith that is not grounded in the false promises of prosperity preaching. There are a lot of people that you'll listen to who will say, if you have enough faith, you'll never suffer anything. But you look here. I know my faith doesn't match Paul's faith. I haven't seen any of your faith match Paul's faith. He was faith-filled, and he was in prison, and he was about to lose his life. So if the gospel that you believe or the theology that you believe says you will never suffer if you have enough faith, then it's a false gospel and it's a false theology. As a matter of fact, Paul is saying that he demonstrates his faith by his faithfulness in prison. Think about this with me. It is not Timothy who's free who's encouraging Paul. It's Paul who's in prison who's encouraging Timothy. I just got goosebumps on that one. Do you know why I know he listened? I usually wait till the end, but it's just too good an ending to, to not to save it. We know Timothy heard this message and followed it. Because in Hebrews chapter 13, we're told Timothy was finally released from prison. So the very same life, the very same path that his father Paul had to lead, Nero threw Timothy in prison as well. But the persecution of Nero ended, and in Hebrews 13, Timothy was set free to be a pastor again, to be a leader again. But he was doing so as one who was faithful in the face of suffering for the gospel. You know the second reason I know he was faithful? Because we have the letter. You see, if he had lived out of the spirit of fear, he would have been this letter. He would have thrown it away. We would never have heard of it. This is a personal letter written from Paul to his son, his spiritual son, Timothy. And now we all read it and have been reading it for 2,000 years. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God. And Timothy lived that out and passed this letter around. Well, the third thing that Paul says that you have a tendency towards shame in is, is, is actually the news or the message of the gospel itself. Have you realized that if you really are a believer, if you are really saying that the only way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. People call you exclusive, elitist, call you arrogant, selfish. Why is that? Because we live in a world that wants to believe it can save itself. We live in a world that does not want anyone to say you can't be independent. We live in a world that has said there is no God, so therefore all of us are accidents. Our lives are only this world. There is no life after death. And therefore, do you not understand that what they're saying is all suffering is irrelevant. It has no meaning. It's random. So to come and to say that at the heart of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you are so evil that Christ had to bear the full punishment of your sin on a cross, but also you are so loved that he chose to do that for you. And that there's only one way into right relationship with God, and that's to recognize you're a sinner, to open your heart to the Savior, and decide, this is who I am and this is what I need. And that takes incredible humility. One of the greatest evangelists in the world in the last 40 years or 30 years was a man by the name of Luis Palau. 
And he told a story at a uh, World Congress on the Bible. He told a story that really impressed me. He said that he was in a South American country meeting with the president of that country. He told the president, you're a sinner in need of a savior. And the only way to get your, right life, your life right with God is for you right now to repent of your sin and open your heart and ask Jesus to be your savior and your Lord. He said that president got down on his knees in his office and right then and there gave his life to Christ, opened his heart up, said, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He said he flew into Atlanta right after that. And he's somewhere where he has this conversation with the janitor. And he said the exact same thing to the janitor that he said to the president. You're a sinner in need of a savior. You must humble yourself. You must confess your sin. You must receive Jesus into your heart as your Savior and your Lord. And the janitor, wherever this was, bowed down right there and gave his life to Christ. He said, this is the truth of Christianity. Whether you're a president or you're a janitor, the ground at the cross is level ground. Every one of us, whatever your status is, has to come to the place where you realize you cannot save yourself and that the only way to be right with God is to receive Jesus' sacrifice as your own. And so think about this. That's good news to those of us who have said, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But it's not good news to those who say, I'm not a sinner and I'm not in need of a Savior. And so Paul is saying, it'd be very easy to shrink back. It would be very easy in a secular society to simply keep your mouth shut to just kind of hide in the woodwork. But he's saying to Timothy, that would not be a courageous life. That would be a fearful life. You are called, he says, to not be ashamed of the gospel. You are called to not be ashamed even if you suffer for the gospel. You are called to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. So how do you overcome? Man, I can't say that much, but I really liked how I said that. And you guys are just kind of sitting there on me. Come on. I'm going to find out if you're breathing soon, all right? So how is it that you overcome fear? How do you overcome shame? Do you realize, again, you have to have something that is more powerful than what you're afraid of. You have to have something that is so healthy and so whole that your connection to it makes you healthy makes you whole. And so that's why it's either you're all in or you might as well be all out. Because until you say, I'm not going to live by fear, I'm going to live by faith, then you're going to just continue in your own brokenness. Please hear me on this. The Bible's really clear about this. In Proverbs it says that if you have a broken body, but you have a whole spirit, the wholeness in your spirit will overcome the brokenness in your body. But it says if you have a whole and healthy body that has a broken spirit, then even that whole and healthy body cannot handle the brokenness in your spirit. I watched this. She kind of hates this attention I'm about to give her. But I watched this so clearly with my wife. It was one of the most difficult of days when all her strength went away. When she was in such total pain from the tumor that had started in her stomach and creeped around her, her other organs and, and was dying, like casting off dying cells. And I remember her saying to me, yesterday I could do everything and today I can't do anything. And she was in a hospital room and we were waiting for what was going to happen, and, and she was the weakest I have ever seen her physically, and she was having to take these drugs that were even making her a little less lucid than normal. And yet, her spirit was so evident. I mean, her body had no power, but her spirit was powerful. She exuded so much love. Sometimes when she's mad at me, I say, remember how you were back then? <laughs> <laughs> it 
It was so incredible to watch because the nurses would come and hang out in our room. I would say, be gone. Get out of here. This one nurse stayed and told her entire life story to us. And Lisa's just going, oh, I'm so sorry you went through all of that. Man, may God bless you. And she's just pouring out the Holy Spirit with no physical strength whatsoever. You understand, when you live by fear, you're living by a choice to limit yourself. When you live by faith, you're deciding to be courageous. Do not believe that fear is not real. It is real. You can't just say, I won't be afraid. You have to face your fear with courage. It's real. <laughs> and there has to be a power that is more real to you than what you're afraid of. And the only power that's that way is the power of God. Can I, can I just tell you, Jesus, Lisa said this a couple weeks ago. She said, the Bible is... God breathing on every page, which makes it a miracle that you a miracle you can hold in your hand. OK, that is an exciting miracle. But do you understand there's a greater miracle than the Bible in this room? It's you. He breathed his life into you. He breathed his spirit into you, his power, his love into you. You if you are born of the spirit of God, you're a miracle. You're a walking miracle. You didn't just decide to behave better. You opened your heart to Jesus. You said yes to God. And in doing so, he has transformed you into a child of God. You're a walking miracle. This is why I can never treat anyone as worthless or anyone as inferior or anyone as less than. Because every person God wants to, he says, he does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants every one of us to be a walking miracle. But you and I have to begin to believe that about ourselves. You see, you have access to the power that makes you a miracle. You have access to it every day. Now, I began to realize some years ago that I had to face my fears. And I, I realized as a pastor, I have to help you face your fears. You can't just say, I'm not afraid. You have to face it. Because fear is real. Pain is real. Just saying it's not there doesn't make it go away. It actually makes you more controlled by it. So this friend of mine, many years ago, helped me to understand how real fear is, how real pain is. His name, we called him Jonah. He was born in Pakistan. He was born to a Christian family in Pakistan. But when he went to college, he converted to Islam. He became an Islamic lawyer. As he practiced law in the regime and all of the things that were going on there, he saw the corruption. He saw the emptiness of Islam. He had a radical encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave his life completely and totally to Jesus in Pakistan. Now, you see, if he had stayed a Christian with his family, it would have been legal. But because he had converted to Islam, because he had become a Muslim, now it was illegal for him to convert to Christianity. So his faith was illegal, but he knew that he was called to live radically for Jesus. And so he started a church. He planted a church. And he knew every day that they having church services they were illegal and he knew that at any time he could be taken away and he could be he could be tortured or he could be killed and the day came and a gang of radical muslims came and dragged him out of the church took him to a warehouse and as he told the story he began to cry he said i cannot even tell you the unspeakable things that they did to me that they violated me in every way possible now while this was going on and he was in such real pain and in such real fear, the people were praying for him in his church. For some reason, they released him. They didn't kill him. They let him go. You know where he went? Right back to church. Right back preaching the gospel. But there's a twist to the story that's a, even a little more powerful in some ways. <laughs> the guy who turned him in sat every church service in the second row. 
in the church. And when he came back to the church service, there was that guy again. So not only did he have to have the power to overcome what had happened, but he also had to have the power to overcome that guy betraying him and the fact he was still in the church. And he looked at me and said, Mike, fear is real. Pain is real. But the power of God is more real than any of those. And I have never forgotten his courage. You see, you can't live simply as a moral Christian. You can't live as a religious Christian. You have to live as one who has encountered the manifest presence of Christ and live in the power of God. You've got to begin to move out of your own limitations into his limitless power. Now, I, I can't help today but tell stories of power. It's just certain stories have hit me as I think through this, not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus or even of suffering. So one of my favorite expositors of, Christ, of uh, the Bible is a guy by the name of Ray Stedman. And he tells the story about how he, people in his church took his sermons and they started turning them into booklets and they called them discovery papers and all of these things. And so he had gotten a letter from a 66-year-old man who'd been in prison three times and was on his last, you know, he thought he was going to die in prison. So the guy writes him a letter and says, I'm, I'm a, a pretty hardened prisoner, but I was headed to the attorney to talk to my attorney. And I looked in the trash can and there was your writing. So in the trash can in the prison was these discovery papers that were the sermons of this man, Ray Stedman. And the prisoner says, some people's trash is other people's treasure. And so he reached down and he pulled these papers out of the trash can. He took them in as he waited for his lawyer and he started to read. And as you read the first one, conviction came over him. He said, I never thought of myself as a sinner, even though he's a prisoner, a criminal. Never thought of himself as a sinner. He never thought he needed a savior. But as he read that, he had this deep sense of his guilt and his shame. So he promised, he committed in his heart, I will do better, God. I will clean up my life. And then as he thought about that, he said, even if I could live hundreds of years, I couldn't clean up what I've done. So he read the second paper, and in the second paper, he began to read how Christ becomes a sacrifice and substitute for our sins. If we will invite him into our hearts, he will come in and he will take away our sin and he will give us a new life. He said that night on his prison bunk, he opened up his heart and he gave his life to Christ. He said, I didn't know what had happened. I didn't feel any different. But the next morning when I got up, he said the entire prison seemed brighter. The sun seemed brighter. He said, I went to the cafeteria and ate food. And he said, I've complained about prison food every day, but for the first time in my life, it tasted good to me. There were 25 guys who came up to him. They all knew him. They called him Pop, and they said, Pop, you look different. What is so different about you? He said, last night, I opened up my heart, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 11 of those prisoners right there gave their lives to Jesus, and he led them to Christ. I know that's dramatic, but that's the power in you. See, you don't have to say, oh, Lord, please make that power in me. It's there. You need to start accessing it. Now, I hear the music, and I have, like, so much more. <laughs> so I got to figure out how to close this up for you. So I'm going to close it up this way, okay? So why is it that Paul in prison is talking about power when it seems like his own power has been taken away? Why is he facing his, in, in, in our view, a powerless death as if he has power over that death? Well, he says it really clearly in this passage. He says, Jesus has nullified death. In other words, when Jesus comes into your life, you don't just become a moral person or a religious person. You become a new person who has the life of God now breathing in your life. The very Holy Spirit of God is now residing within the walls of your life. You have life. And as long as God exists, you will exist. 
But even more than that, Jesus himself, Paul says, has made the power of death in your life null and void. So much so that Paul says, I stand at the grave and say, I mock you, death. You have no sting. Let me finish with this illustration of that. There was a great preacher in Philadelphia. He's one of the best of all time, one of the most famous. But he lost his wife when his, his daughter was very young, maybe 10 years old or so. And the loss of her mother was devastating to this child. And he was trying to think, how do I help her as she mourns the loss of her mother? So I believe they're actually here in New York City. I'm not sure. But they were on a, on a street and they were stepping off the curb when a bus came rumbling by and they could feel the power of the bus. They could feel the wind and the force of the bus, but the bus didn't touch them. But the passing of the bus shook them up. You can see the little girl, you know, full of fear and you can feel her upset by the proximity of the bus. And he began to realize this is how I can explain this to my child. He said, you, you noticed that when the bus came by, we felt its power, but we weren't hit by it. All we experienced was the shadow of the bus. And she said, he said, when your mother passed away, Jesus had already taken the full force of the bus of death so that all your mother experienced was the shadow of the bus. You see, if you are in Christ, He took the full force of death for you. He took the whole bus load on for you. And all you will ever know is the shadow of the bus. Nothing more. Why is that so important? Well, Paul says this. If you know you don't have to fear death, you really don't have to fear anything. And how does he take a stake in the ground? He says, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. He says, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he will keep what I have committed till that day that I see him face to face. Do you know who you believed? If you know who you believed, then his power is the power that took on the bus of death so that all you will ever experience is the shadow of the bus. Will you stand with me? All right, I, I never understand this. I do all the work. You guys look tired. Come on. Are you thinking, is that what it is? You understand, there are moments, I mean... The, Anything from the Word of God is powerful. But there are moments when God is saying, these are pearls, don't miss them. I, I have to explain to you, I have to just urge you, look, if fear is the basis of your life, you will live in shame. You'll run away from trouble, you'll run away from, from you know, the trials that will make you strong, you'll look for shortcuts, you'll do all kinds of things. But if you have said, no, I am, I am living in the power of God. I know whom I have believed. Then you begin to say, I don't have to fear death. Nothing but the shadow of death will ever touch me. I don't have to fear what's going to happen to me because the very one who raised Jesus from the dead is right now with me. He's around me. He's working through me. He's working in people around me as well. And you begin to realize that <laughs> no one can stand really against you. If God be for you, who can stand against you? And even if, like Paul said, Paul says, I'm in prison, but he says, I'm a prisoner of God, not a prisoner of Rome. You got to get a new perspective. And, and part of that new perspective is you have to say goodbye to fear. It's not your friend. So here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you, one, to heed the call to courage. But whatever it is you're afraid of or whatever's causing you pain or whatever's causing you shame is real. So it's got to be taken to God. It can't just be ignored. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes.
And whether you want to put two hands out or you want to put one hand out, whatever it is, would you take what you're afraid of and would you put it in your hand? Do not guard it in your heart. Do not keep it in your body. Put it away from your body. Make an offer to the Lord, an offering to the Lord of saying, here are the things that I fear, but I believe in your power. I believe that I can trust you. And if you're willing to do that, would you say this? Thinking of these things that you fear, things that have made you ashamed, things that make you hide, thinking of these things, deciding you're going to be courageous, would you say these words with me? I renounce. renounce. A little bit bit stronger, okay? I renounce renounce. the spirit of fear. fear. I cancel out out any any ground that you have in me. In my mind, in my my will, in my my emotions, emotions. I receive receive the spirit of power, power, love, love, and a sound mind. mind. I choose to serve serve because I am a child of God. God. My status is settled. settled. I can do all things things through Christ who strengthens me. His gifts in me is His presence in me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Look for places to serve this week. Look for people to serve. If you don't feel comfortable fully saying, I want you to come to faith in Jesus, then say, I want you to come to Risen King with me. Whatever it is, that is a risk for you. You understand, this is the only opportunity, this life is the only opportunity you have to give God the gift that is most relevant to Him, your life of faith. The next life is all by sight. This is your only chance to say, I believed you when I couldn't see you. What was invisible was more real to me than what was visible. That's a powerful thing. It's easy to be afraid of what you see. It's not easy to have faith in what you can't see. And yet faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Lord, We seal what you're doing. We choose courage over fear. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.